Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hey, 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 everybody. You ready for our health checkup tonight? I am super excited. We've got a hot subject tonight. It's hot, hot, hot. Um, We're going to be talking about fire. We're going to talk about fire protection and prevention and safety in your home, in your workplace, and even in public places. And I'm super excited as tonight I have a dear friend of mine. We've been friends for mm, uh, over 15 years. I don't want you guys to start calculating. And he is bringing to the table over 30 years of firefighter experience, but he is currently a chief fire inspector in a location undisclosed in the state of Florida. His name is Chief Fire Inspector, Chief Fire Inspector Tom Marr. So let's all, what we're going to do is allow him an opportunity to explain some topics for the next 25 minutes. And after he's done, we will do raise hands and answer all your questions. And I'm also excited to have Jay on the line, who is one of our ACB family members who also brings firefighter experience to the table. So everyone, let's get ready to meet Chief Tom Marr. Good evening, everyone. How's everybody doing this evening? They won't talk to you. They won't talk to you. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, starting out with uh, talking on the subject of being visually impaired, uh, blind or visually impaired, it's... Basically, you go back to as children when uh, obviously you don't remember as a child, but as firefighters, we teach children to do simple basic things. And those basic things will actually work for people that are visually impaired, like my audience tonight. And what that means is always be familiar with your surroundings. And uh, we'll back up a little bit more. Um, if something happens, if you have a smoke alarm go off, you want to know what to do and it leads me to, I'm hesitating a little bit because I, when I say one thing, I, I think of 15 other things to say, <laughs> but, uh, going back to what I started to say, starting at children and we teach kids how to smart to like, if you, if your clothes catch on fire or simple things. Like you can, if you remember when you're a child or toddler going through school and you start being told that you, your clothes catch on fire and you have to be taught to stop, drop, and roll. You stop, that stops the fire from spreading and it slows down your clothes getting to be a larger fire. Then you drop to the ground as quickly as possible and then lay flat on your stomach or your back and rapidly or very quickly you want to roll back and forth. You don't roll all the way over. It's like on 180, 180 to back and then go the other direction. That's basically what stop, drop, and roll is. But the other, the other things that I want to emphasize is knowing your surroundings. If um, when you're in your house, you know where everything is, you know where everything is placed because being visually impaired or blind, you have to rely on being adamant about always putting things back in the same place so you know where to reach for them the next time you need them. So that is a huge help 
but more one of the big things so you don't trip and fall, which would cause other types of hazards or um, pain or some, things like that. You have to always make sure your express or your escape route or your exit is always clear. It's in our, our language, it's the means of egress. You have to make sure the means of egress is always open and available for you to, when the smoke alarm goes off, you'd want to get down. And um, if you feel more comfortable crawling, because you obviously would not be able to, unfortunately, you would not be able to see the smoke, but you would, you could crawl to a door and use the back of your hand when you get to the door. And then you put your black back of your hand and go up the door slowly and if the door is hot, then if there's heat, fire, flames on the other side. So you can't go that way. So you'd turn around and go to, this takes you to my next point, is you should always know two ways to get out of every room of your house, your living quarters, if you're in a hospital, um, nursing home, or whatever your situation may be. You want to have a second means of egress to go that direction if something like the head, the heat on the other side of the door requires you to turn around and go the other way. So that's, uh, I'm going to go back and forth a couple of times. You're always going to hear me say that it's very, very important to always have your means of egress open and always available. So there's no trip hazards, which could cause you to hit your head and go unconscious or slow you down to be able to being able to crawl outside. Just so like, if, for example, you know the route to the ba- to and from the bathroom or to and from your kitchen, that's you do that how many times a day and you don't trip and fall and that's readily available to you. That's the way you always have to have that same method to getting out of your house, apartment, whichever, safely. There are two ways to get out safely. Uh, there's not much, there's not a lot of information out there for people like yourselves that is that are blind or visually impaired because there's not, they don't, they don't cater to you guys. And I really feel bad. There's attempts made to try to put more education out there. And it's something that uh, it's really hasn't taken on. And hopefully with all this preparedness and all this education, that's Terry and this group is trying to bring on, it will, more things will be available for you. Uh, one way that is working for visually impaired or blind people, uh, you have the radio. The radio is one is a great source for education, and it helps with repetitive repetition to be able to speak and get your message across. That's proven to be very very good means of educating your this, your audience. When you have a smoke detector going off in your house. Obviously, it's not for sure there's a fire, but it could be something simple as it needs batteries or it needs some service. It may be after 10 years, you need to replace it and get another device. But you need to make sure that it's either change your clocks, change your batteries, or when you uh, you fall back or spring ahead, you always remember to change your batteries so they're always working for you. Smoke alarms are the best device on the market today to get everybody out of a, a occupancy, whether it's a home, a business office, whatever. The smoke detector is the best form of 
fire protection on the market today. It's like a nose on the ceiling and it's constantly sniffing and sniffing and sniffing. And when it smells smoke, it activates and you, you should follow those instructions to get outside, follow your, your path of travel, your means of egress. You know, it's open because you verified that and you check that all the time. So just walk out either way. And then obviously when you get to a door, you want to use your hands to verify that it's safe to go out that exit. I just I had lost my train of thought there for a second. I apologize. It's been a while since I've done this. <laughs> there's so, no fire. Yeah, there's good. no fire. Yeah, no, no, no reason to be alarmed. Haha. Uh, depending on what your living situations are, if you're in a nursing home or a more commercial type setting, uh, boarded board and care homes, a nursing home, assisted living, those types of places, different states have different code 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 requirements for those types of facilities. I'm in Florida, and we're very strict, and uh, the codes are really, really followed extremely heavy because they're all in place. The code was generated due to a large fatality. large amount of people died for a certain reason. That's why these codes are in place. It doesn't mean that's way in every state, but in Florida, I know that pretty well because that's where I work. And uh, that's something we're very proud of is all the safety cost, safety devices that are insta- installed and they're being tested and serviced quarterly, regularly, annually, semi-annually, whatever the, the, uh, each device or appliance has to be checked, checked and serviced. If you're in a nursing home or how uh, in the a residence or occupancy like that, you have directions followed by the nursing staff. Those types of facilities, they, they have staff, 24-hour staffing for your needs for medical reasons, daily living needs, and also for emergency needs. Um, most of those buildings and most of these types of occupancies, are they, they have sprinkler systems in the ceilings, that if there ever was a fire in your particular room above your garbage can, above the uh, your entertainment system where a lot of things are plugged in, the sprinkler head, when it gets the an ordinary sprinkler head will go off at 155 degrees. So the smoke alarm, it goes off almost instantly once it smells smoke. So that's why it's known as the best device to get you to leave the area. But for some reason, if you didn't have a smoke detector, if you didn't have batteries, it wasn't maintained properly, if it gets to 155 degrees, if it's an ordinary smoke, uh, ordinary sprinkler sprinkler head, it will activate and put the fire out over top of the, the flames and the heat and the heated gases. If it's large enough for two uh, sprinkler heads to go off, they both will start spraying water out those heads. It's the uh, movie industry. They have made made it so far uh, far fetched that if you have a fire in one corner, all the sprinklers go off in the movies. That doesn't happen in real life. The only sprinkler heads that activate and start spraying water are right directly above the area that the flames and heat are coming from. So that's something to keep in mind. And when you have a a sprinkled situation, sprinklers on the ceilings, it means you have a really safer than what the normal people have in their their living quarters. 
So it's, it gives you a peace of mind that you'll be able to, if you're in a perfect world, you would never have a fire. That's the best case scenario. But if you would have something catch on fire, whether it's uh, sheets, uh, fell asleep, someone was smoking, which is terrible to fall asleep smoking, but that happens all the time, or trash fire in the garbage cans or whatever, electrical fires with uh, those cheap extension cords or things like that, that causes fires. That creates smoke, and smoke alarms go off so quick that it tells people to start heading to an exit like I've touched on a couple times already. That is the best thing to be prepared when you hear a smoke detector go off, smoke alarm go off, just start moving that way to an exit. Don't ever worry about playing fireman or don't try to investigate what's going on because you have, you know, you're visually impaired or possibly blind. There's no reason you should be trying to do that. It's all, it's all about you at that point. You have to take care of yourself and hopefully you're still mobile and you can walk if you have to crawl because it's so dense if the smoke is building up you could take advantage of saving your life or maybe a, a spouse or significant other that you can get them out also it's always great to practice scenarios as a firefighter it, we practice and practice and practice um, that's what we do on shift waiting to go in the next call Someone's always training. Some lieutenant's always talking somebody through or practicing this or practicing that. That same thing goes with fire drills. Fire drills have to be looked at as something very serious because if something is going wrong, like a fire smoke alarm going off or maybe some smoke is filling up the room, which you unfortunately would not be able to see, but you have to re re um, you got to take advantage of the devices that are made, like the smoke alarms, to get you to start moving one way or the other to exit safely. So my point of all that is practice, practice, practice your ways out. It does a couple of things. If you practice your exit, both of your exits, that means someone didn't set groceries or a bag of something the last time they came to visit you. They didn't put something on the floor that would be in your way or slow you down trying to evacuate. So by doing the drills as often as possible, I'm not going to say you should do it once a week or once a day, or it's, it's up to you and you know your lifestyle and you know how much activities in and out of your, your living areas. If you have a lot of people popping in and popping out, it would be very, it would behoove you to check those exits daily because you don't have, if it's, if your daughter, your son, someone that is a loved one, they usually care a little more they will make sure they don't put something in the way that would delay you from getting out. Most smoke alarms, they are very loud, and that's for a reason. It's never too loud. It's never going to hurt your ears. Uh, and as you evacuate, you're going left or right. It, the, the noise will get less and less loud as you leave the area. So if you're in that room, it's going to be air piercing for a couple seconds, but then when you go to the left or to the right, it's going to get quieter as you walk away, crawl away, whatever the situation may be. Keep in mind, if you have physical limitations alongside with your being blind or visually impaired, that I mean, that would be terrible. I wish that on nobody, but I'm sure there's some people out there that have more than one issue. So if you do have 
some type of physical limitation, you may even have to think further about being prepared. You have to make sure that if you have, uh, like you're good walking from your couch or love seat to the bathroom or to the kitchen to get yourself a coffee or a beer maybe, um, that's good. But if you need a walker or a cane to go a little further, then you have to make sure you set that stuff down that you can pick it up real quick when you need you when you know that you need to go a little further than to the place you go to many times a day. So always put that cane or that that walker or something in a strategic place so when when the smoke alarm starts to go off, you know right where to go and there's no delay of you starting to the exit. There's different types of if you're in a if you're in a situation, living situation, like in a home, nursing home, uh, board care, where you have professional people that are there around you, that'll take care of you. If the fire alarm goes off in that building, you may be, you may be just told to shelter in place. If you're in a bigger area where you have different wings or different hallways to go to with another uh, section with uh, rooms, the fire may be in the west side of the building or maybe burnt popcorn and set the alarm off on the west side of the building. So everybody in the building does not have to evacuate because the fire alarms, the, the fire doors that automatically close to stop the heat and smoke and heated gases from traveling down those hallways that are open. Those doors are kept open with magnets. But as soon as the fire alarm gets activated, those doors close. That keeps all the smoke and heated gases in a certain area of that boarding care, nursing home, assisted living, whichever type of thing, hospitals. Hospitals is a great example. Thank you, Terry. And um, that's awesome. But there's, due to all the modern, I touched on this earlier, due to all the modern technology that's out there and the codes that are beautiful, they're saving lives, you can shelter in place and we don't have to get a couple hundred people to evacuate the the area, the hospital, the boarding care, the nursing home. You might only have to get 20 people or 15 people to get moved out of that west wing to one of the other wings because there's no fire over there. And everybody's healthy, safe, out of harm's way. And then the fire department will be there within five, six minutes at the most, and they'll take care of everything from there. They'll make sure everybody's out, and then they'll take care of solving the problem maybe putting the fire out or just maybe just ventilation if that's what that's the problem. Fire extinguishers are very, very a great invention and they're great to have. But um, me personally, I know the other gentleman is a firefighter paramedic. I'm not sure what Jay. his, Jay, um, he may be able to throw his two cents in because it's more of a personal opinion. Um, the use of a fire extinguisher, that's very, very good. That is for immediate use on a small fire that stops it from getting larger or causing more problems, maybe smoke inhalation or possibly go to one extreme of causing someone to go out unconscious and then possibly die. But since you have a, a uh, blind or visually impaired situation, I personally, and like I said, that's just my opinion, I'd rather you take care of getting you yourself out of harm's way. And if you have someone, if a, uh, a spouse, cousin, you have a relative, you have a friend over, don't worry about playing firefighter. Just get outside and stay alive. Be safe. Everything has insurance. Everybody has insurance. 
property can be replaced. I know it's you get sentimental things if you lose pictures and albums and things like that, but it'd be better to be alive and well and healthy and then be upset that you don't have your pictures anymore opposed to being dead. And then who cares if you have your pictures? So that's my point of view on fire extinguishers. If you do want to learn how to use an extinguisher, if you're partially blind or not too visibly, visually impaired and you want to use a fire extinguisher, more power to you because if you have an extinguisher, the right extinguisher for the right type of fire, you can put a quick small fire out real fast. And all you do that, there's an acronym. The acronym used for fire extinguishers is PASS. What that means is you P for pull, A for aim. The first S is for squeeze. And then the last S is sweep, pull, aim, squeeze, and sweep. What that means is you'll take the fire extinguisher and take it off the wall or the cabinet it's in. Then you, as you're walking towards the fire, you would pull the pin and then pick up the hose. It's a strap to, it's on a clip next to the, on the side of the fire extinguisher. And you can hold that in your left hand or your right hand that goes either way. And then one of the most important things to th think about if you're going to attempt to extinguish a smaller fire is when you're approaching the fire, you always want to have the exit at your back. That way, if you go to approach the fire and you get no closer than 10 feet, because that is what the NFPA, the National Fire Protection Agency, that's what they're saying, all the people that teach these classes, you don't want to get closer than 10 feet for, for uh, your own safety. So you... If you go, if you're approaching a garbage can, let's say that'll be our scenario. You have a garbage can on fire. If you have the confidence to do it, you pull, aim, squeeze, you, you pull and start walking towards the fire. If, if there's a can of hairspray in that can that you can't see and all of a sudden it explodes or it ignites, it bursts, whatever words you want to use, it may be too much for someone, the layperson that's doing this for the first time, be too much for them. If that's the case, you set the extinguisher down and turn around. Well, don't turn around yet, but you talk, you walk backwards towards the exit until you get far enough away safely, turn around, and then leave, the, leave that room going out the doorway. The fire will continue to burn, but goes to back to the point earlier. It's all about you, your safety, going home to your loved ones, and, and spending and living the rest of your life. If you do have the opportunity and you're courageous enough to keep getting closer, you get within 10 feet of the fire, aim that nozzle at the base of the fire. If, if you can imagine a garbage can, it should be metal garbage can in a commercial setting. It should be metal and have a lid, but obviously the lid was off. That's why the fire is, is showing up and it's popping out of the can. The base of the fire at that point would be at the top of the metal can. And so you hitting the can below the top, it's just going to fall that dry powder. It's just going to fall on the floor. It's not going to help put a fire out. So you aim right at the base, which is the top of that metal garbage can. And then that dry powder chemical, whether it's white or green or yellow, it's going to go over the inside of the can. And then that's what's going to suffocate the fire. Once it starts suffocating, that's another way of cooling it. And then after you do that, let me back up for a second. I apologize. You should have called for help before you started to 
doing the task yourself. If you're in a business situation and you could say, Sue, Bob, Sally, Lisa, call somebody by name so they can, you could tell them, Lisa, call the fire department, bring another extinguisher and help me out here. And then, then that person's going to call 911 and start the fire department. You're going to take the extinguisher. You're going to go to it. You're going to pull aim, squeeze, and you're going to aim right at the, the fire, at the base of the fire and sweeping you don't want to grab the nozzle and shake it real fast. You want to go at a real, not extremely slow, but not extremely fast. You have to go slow enough that you're going to coat the base of the fire with the dry chemical. And that will suffocate the fire, which will put it out. And another thing I want to add to on this, if, since we're talking about fire extinguishers, if you're going to be crazy enough to, to attempt to put it out, then your other coworkers that you called for help to bring in, they should respond with a fire extinguisher. Any, any business that's taught in the, the fire extinguisher classes, if you are working with other people or you're in a facility where there's more than one, excuse me, fire extinguishers on the wall in different areas of the business, your coworker, or if you're the, you're the one at dial 911 and you'll respond with a, another fire extinguisher, some, depending on the size of the fire extinguisher is how long the fire extinguisher lasts before it runs out of pressure to put the dry chemical out, to throw it out, to shoot it out of the nozzle. In Florida, in most states, and a smallest, the smallest fire extinguisher is going to be five pounds. A five-pound fire extinguisher lasts seven to eight seconds, and then it has no use. There's no more, no more pressure to expel the agent out of the hose, out of the extinguisher to put the fire out. So that's why it's Brent, It's always great to have your other coworkers or office uh, office members respond with an extinguisher. So if you weren't good enough to put the fire out 100%, your coworker there, they can grab it and shoot it with their extinguisher. And by two extinguishers, you're pretty much you're in good shape. Now, if you're in a more, a little bit, every occupancy, you have different extinguishers because it could be different hazards. Like for instance, if you're at a Home Depot or Lowe's, their extinguishers are 10 pounders. A 10 pound fire extinguisher, they last somewhere between 16 and 18 seconds. So it's much bigger. It's a little heavier, of course, but it, because of the size difference, you're going to get double the amount of time to be able to put the fires out. And because you're that in that type of occupancy, all different types of hazards. That's why you you need to do that type of thing. So that's, but you don't have to worry about those types of things because the fire inspector, the fire marshal, the fire fire department, when they open the place up, they have to put the right extinguishers for the, what possible hazards would be found at that location. So all you have to worry about with fire extinguishers is make sure you're if you feel comfortable then. Go over to that area as you're walking towards it. You called for help, called for someone to get help, and then you take the extinguisher as you're walking closer. Never get closer than 10 feet. You pull the pin. You aim the hose at the base of the fire. You squeeze. Don't ever quit squeezing because you, as soon as you squeeze once, that starts at seven to eight seconds, six to eight seconds. So always just hold that, squeeze it till it runs out of powder, and just sweep left and right. And slow pace, blanketing the base of the fire with that chemical, that dry powder chemical. 
if you, I mean, I could talk to you for hours just on fire extinguishers, but I got to, we'll move on. And we're going to go back to, I heard a couple people have said you have questions for me. So, or for the other gentleman with on the, uh, here Jay. with me, Jay, I'm sorry. Hey, Jay, oh, Jay has his hand up. So let's, I'm going to give the, can he talk or? Yeah. Ask him to unmute okay. himself. Hey, Jay, can you unmute yourself, sir? Pleasure being on the call with you. And yeah. uh, the one thing I wanted to add is once you you get outside, you stay outside. You go to a meeting spot that you picked out, wherever that may be. Make sure it's not by a fire hydrant, though. Um, make sure it's, you know, maybe on the other side of the road, in a mailbox or whatever. But you never go back in once you, um, because a fire doubles in size every minute. And once you get out, you call 911 because there's been multiple times that I've gone on a call and they're wondering what took you so long. And we said, well, you got to call at this time period and found out that it, that a mailman actually called because he was coming up and they were watching, they were just watching their house burn. Um, If you do get burnt, don't put butter on it. Run it underneath water. And then call 911. If you do have a uh, fire extinguisher, make sure it's one with a gauge. And every so often, turn it over. Tap it so that those dry chemicals just don't just sit there because you haven't had a fire in, you know, let's say five years or so, and then all those chemicals are all just, you know, concrete on the bottom of that. Thank you, Jay, for jumping in there and giving us that explanation. That was fantastic. Um, we'll take questions now. Um, do we got any hands up? Uh, we have DJ Kessler. All right, DJ. Hi, everybody. Yes, um, I came in late, so I, I hope I'm not asking something you already already addressed. Um, can Are there classes for using a fire extinguisher that can be done uh, with and for blind people? Um, well, what I recommend is thank you so much for joining us, no matter what time it is. Um, and thank you for asking that question. Where do you live is very important to reach out to your local fire department and ask them what kind of community education they have. And so they can individualize. I do not know, Tom, is there nothing set up for vision impaired blind specific special needs class for fire extinguishers? But again, no. just... Just make sure you reach out to your local fire department. And if you need to ask for the community educator or public relations person, every fire department has it. And they'll direct you where to take classes. There are, well, civilian, there are civilian classes for us. Yes. What I'm thinking is, like, um, we could have somebody come out and talk to a, the local California Council of the Blind Chapter and. And of yes. course, that's what yeah. I'm looking for. 
Yes, and I would just recommend whenever we have an opportunity after this little bug is um, back in its jar um, and we start going to live meetings is to reach out to the local fire department and have them set up a training at your next meeting and they would be honored to do that. Maybe that's something we can do in Phoenix, you know, as well. Yeah. 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 I really think it would be good. And if, if some of us, uh, you know, cause I know some people have a hard time, but if you are a person that has a hard time with distances, you know, you might uh, probably, probably most people, it would behoove them to take their home, for example, and learn how far 10 feet is about. And um, I have used a fire extinguisher once, and I liken it to when I spray painted something, you know, like, a, like with the... Uh, you know, plastic foam stuff that you want to glue onto something. Yeah. Because it doesn't just, it's it's slower than water and you have oh. to coat passing it back and on, back and forth in order to coat. So I, I yes. I'm, if I remember right, it seems to be something like that. You also have to yes. worry about wind direction also. Oh, Correct. that's right. So I want to say thank you so much for bringing that up. And I'm looking forward to hearing about having fire extinguisher um, training and stuff at all of our ACB events. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, Dave, next hand. All right. Then it would be Abraham. Hello. First, thanks for the information. A couple questions about the fire extinguishers. Uh, one I just mentioned have the right type of fire extinguisher for the right type of fire. Is the only difference the weight of the fire extinguisher that we have to be concerned about? And second question is, why do we need to have a gauge on a fire extinguisher? Okay, the gauge tells you if they've lost pressure. Let's say you haven't used it in quite a while. Um, that way you can see if you can visually see it, they can tell that, the, you know, if there's pressure in it or not, or if this is a defective. Um, or somebody used it or whatever, and they just decided to put it somewhere and it, it was already used. The reason uh, for the different types of, because you, um, there's, Hey, Jay, why don't we have our chief fire inspector um, help you out there, okay? okay? Okay, this is Tom. I'm back. Uh, you have, in most locations, you have what's called an, a multi-purpose extinguisher, and it's, it's an AB that's known in the industry as an ABC fire extinguisher. Type A fires are wood or paper type fires, wood, paper, clothing, that type of thing. And then because it's an ABC type extinguisher, you could the, the B type fires. B would be um, B is flammable liquids. Flammable liquids would be like your gasoline in your garage, kerosene or some paint thinner, lacquer thinner, something like you may use around the yard, you're around your house to do some cleanup of your hands and your tools or something like that. Or gasoline for the lawnmowers or what type of machinery you're gonna use. And then class C fires is electrical. 
Class C fires are something you'd have. I mean, obviously, it's electrical. It's being energized. And it's constantly putting that energy into it, just feeding the fire. So you either have to use one or two fire extinguishers while you're knocking the fire down. But on a, on a Class C electrical type fire, if possible, it's always best to try to get someone to go to the source to either shut the breaker off. Because if it's like, for example, if it's an entertainment center, the entertainment center, you might you won't be able to reach behind it to shut it off because you put your hands through the fire. So you would know have someone in your house go down or someone your you know, someone in your close proximity just go and shut the breaker off at the main inside the house, which that'll shut the fuel off, turns the fuel off at that electrical fire. Then the extinguisher would definitely finish putting the fire out. So those are the three types of fire. A, B, and C are the three types. And did that answer your question, sir? Uh, yes. One more. What about grease fires? Which, what would they fall under? So you're in the kitchen and something, and you get a little grease fire. All right. On a grease fire, the, the best way, talking in a residential type settings or scenario, let's say you're, you're making French fries on a, on a little skillet and the gas gets a little too hot the electricity the electric range gets a little too hot and the gas turns into a fire you have an actual flame and the best thing to do in that situation is and i strongly suggest this and i've taught this and i've told this hundreds of times is everybody has a cookie sheet near their their stove either some people have little cabinets to the left or to the right of their stove, or they have it in a drawer or something like that. You should always know where that cookie sheet is or a baking sheet or whichever type, whatever terminology you're using where you live. But you want to take that, and by the time you get that out, the fire's going to be a little bigger, but you don't want to touch the, the skillet with all the grease and the flames. You pick that skillet up, pretend you're holding a book in your hand, and then you want to hold the, the book up in your hand. In this case, that's going to be a pan, not a book, but a pan. And very slowly holding your hands in the pan, you're holding it up vertical at the time. And you want to gently put the, bring the pan down to the flat part of the skillet. As your pan is coming down, it's going to push the flame away from you. And if you do it in a, within a two or three seconds, and you set it flat on the skillet, it's, it's not going to burn you. If, it, if you go within two, three seconds over top of it, you'll have no pain to your hands, no burns to your hands. And then after the flame is gone from the area, then either reach across the skillet and turn the, the knobs or reach in front of you. If the knobs are in front of you, just turn the knobs off. So if you suffocated it, and by turning the gas or electricity off in the range – then you've eliminated two of the three, two of the four parts of fire. So that is the best way. I got to tell you a little story because it's something I always, when this topic comes up, uh, it's a true story. I didn't witness it, thank God, but it is true. Uh, I learned this by one of the, one of the uh, inspectors I used to teach with in, in uh, a different part of the Florida. She, she was, this is, it's a true story. She witnessed it. Um, the person was cooking French fries on the stove 
and it got too busy. It got too big. The fire was really out of control, and the person put a pot holder on, and he it was getting loud. And whether he screamed or whatever, I don't I don't know the exact details. But they started going to the back door with the pan of grease, and he opened the back door. And most back doors, they have stairways to the left or right. And he just threw the the grease, and his <laughs> daughter was coming walking that way because she seen she he heard she heard all the excitement, and he covered her whole face with I... uh, hot grease. So the moral to that long boring story is. The best thing to do is don't do anything with the grease. Don't move the skillet. Don't even move the skillet from one burner to the next. Just put a baking sheet, cookie cookie sheet, whatever whatever you call things like that. Just set that down flat over top, and it suffocates and lets you turn the gas or electric off. Okay, good to know. Now, let's say you're outside and you're deep frying a turkey, and uh, deep fry fryer flips over and basically sets everything on fire. What can you do in that case? Well, hopefully it's not a dry season and the, the, the grass is normally grass doesn't burn unless it's like here in Florida, we have dry seasons and everything's really dry and it's a real hazard down here. But uh, originally I'm from Pennsylvania and grass fires were very odd because of the moisture and the life, the uh, climate in that area. We you had very, very small amounts of, field fires or grass fires. So most of the time the grease will just spill and just put itself out because there's nothing to burn. And, you know, you may have an injury, which is very painful. It's the worst thing is to have a burn, but um, that's not going to be continuous burn, but that's going to, that's going to be an issue, but the fire will go out because it needs fuel to feed the fire. Does that answer your question? That one is call 911 right away. Yeah, understood. Just figured wanted to uh, limit the damage if possible, but thanks for the answers. Thank you, Abraham, for those questions. Um, we've got some more hands. Yep, our next uh, uh, is actually only got one more hand. It's a six, say six forty six area code. That's me. Who is that? Right. Hi, me. Hi. Hi, me. How are you? <laughs> this is Maureen. Maureen hey, in New York. Thanks for Hi. being on the call from New York. Wow. Oh, my pleasure. I'm learning a lot. Um, I would like to, I live in a 45-story high, high rise in New York City. And we have been told that if there's an, a fire here, that we are to stay in our apartments. Is that true in a high rise building? Jay, you answering this one, or do you want me to take this one, too? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, you're on the 45th floor of a high-rise. Um, yeah. Depending, depending on, I can't say 100% on this, but it's a very, like, by 95 98% sure. Depending on what year the building was built, it's probably sprinklered. So that's yes, going to be... 45 years ago. Okay, good. That's good. The... Uh, the sprinklers were out before they came out with smoke alarms. It's crazy enough to believe that. But, uh, yes, um, the in high-rises, what you're told nowadays, and it, it varies a little bit from city to city, jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but what they do is they evacuate the, the two floors below and the two floors above. 
Now, mm-hmm. some jurisdictions, like I said, they'll do one below and three above, or you know, I mean, it's all they tweak it a little bit. But we'll go, it's we'll go with the uh, two and two. If you're on the okay. 45th floor, they're going to want you to evacuate down to the 43rd floor, and then the people above you, they want to go two floors above, and then they because the sprinklers aren't going to let the fire continue to grow and grow, get out of control. So you'd be really worried about smoke inhalation and things like that. But those buildings, they are designed with uh, stairwells. Then there's a way to ventilate the buildings. And then obviously when the firefighters get there, they bring their fans in. They But should we leave our apartments? I guess that's my question. Should I leave my apartment if there's a fire in the building? I you, mean, in if, the hallway or in somebody else's apartment on the floor? It's it's best if you try to get an idea. Some of the newer codes require you have information. Uh, if it's a modern high-rise or if they put a newer system in your building, which is several years old, it'll tell you where the fire is, and then, you, then you'll move accordingly, and there'll be a, a person – you have a speaker comes on and they give you a message. It's based on, it's an educated fire alarm system and it'll tell you where to, how to handle the situation. But that within two, three minutes, less than five minutes, you'll have a firefighter on scene and then they'll, they'll take a microphone downstairs in the control center in the control panel. And they'll be, they'll have more information because of the crews that are up there going through and they'll tell you what to do. So don't just, voluntarily try to start evacuating unless you can actually see and smell things that should say, I know it's really rude for me to say see because this, this group, but uh, you, you want to try to shelter in place as much as possible. The other thing that you can do is when you, um, if you, if you're hearing the alarms going off and you're not knowing where to, you know, where to go, keep yourself there. Call 911 and let the operator know where you are. Okay. But if, you, if you're told to, to evacuate, do not go down the elevator. Uh, yeah, because they won't be working. And if you have to be carried out of here, um, how do they do that? Do they have a ladder that they put against the staircase? or How does that work? They have uh-huh. special equipment to be able to take care of that. Um, they have um, the, the stair chairs. They have the uh, blankets. They have different apparatuses. Um, so that's a great question. Again, um, since you live in the high-rise, how high do you know they're not going to drop you forty-five? Oh, honey, <laughs> we have to. They won't trust me. That's more paperwork and more um, work that they have to do because now you're a patient. <laughs> um, I, not just no, I don't want that. I just, so yeah, they I won't trust get me. Out These guys practice with mannequins that weigh over 300 pounds and they have to oh, no. do flights of stairs and everything. They will not drop you. Trust me. Um, <laughs> one of the things I recommend is being in the high rise again, all about preparedness is talk to your, what do you have, a community association or some kind of? Um, we have tenant meetings like once okay. a month or something. Yeah, so why don't, you ask, yeah, why don't you ask for one of the um, local fire departments to come over and talk about fire safety 
specifically in your building and do a fire drill um, twice a year, maybe, you know, or once a year, um, whatever you guys feel comfortable with. That's Mm -hmm. what I would recommend. Okay. Thank you for asking an excellent question. Thank you. Okay. Okay, Who's next? A 501 in 974. The 501 person, please lower your hand. Hello, this is Teresa. I got you. All right, Teresa. Hey, Teresa. How are you doing tonight? Where are you calling from? Uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. Little Rock, Arkansas. All right. And I've lived in an, um, I lived in a 12 story high rise. I lived on the third floor. So fortunately I could, um, walk down. It was four flights of stairs, not, you know, four floors. I could go down. Uh, ground was the um, bottom floor and then you had to go up to one and then up to two and up to three. And thankfully I lived at the end of the hall where there was a stairwell. Um, but I would say to that um, lady that previously called, um, make sure she knows two things, where her stairs are and also what direction her window faces so that if she has to call 911, she can tell the um, a, you know person on the other end, I'm on the um, southeast or the uh, south central or the southwest or whatever it is side of the building. Um, and if you have a balcony, Get, get onto the balcony if, if that's possible. Well, thank you so much. That is excellent advice um, to share. Because with our, yeah. way, um, she can be free of the smoke um, and let it be known where she's at. Yes. You know, she where she's at. Yes, that's but, excellent. Uh, so thank you so much. Her, Did you have a question you wanted to ask? No, but I was going to say her manager needs to know too that inform the manager that she's you know she needs to inform whoever it is him or her that she is visually impaired and any other um, special needs that um, that might hinder her especially in the time of a, an emergency not 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 that she needs to be coddled just just so they're aware. Yes, and thank you for reminding me that um, we might have some newcomers. We talked about that last week on the first call, and I need to make sure I talk about that every week as um, excellent new people are hearing about our calls and joining us for the first time. It is so important to call the non-emergency 911 or your non-emergency police and fire to communicate with the 911 CAD system And the CAD system puts in all the information of the special needs at the address when they pull it up. So it is so important. Um, Jay, do you, do you want to tell everyone what CAD stands for? Um, Uh Computer, computer (laughs) aided dispatch. Yes. Computer aided dispatch. And that is, uh, it can only show the information that is put into it. So if you have a service dog. That's, and also that's if they have the enhanced system. They can have the CAD, but they may not have the enhanced system. Well, again, um, you, it's very important to reach out to your non-emergency right. numbers before an emergency and just have a communication talk and just say, you know, I'm vision impaired. I have a guide dog and, you know, explain all your needs because, you know, if there's a fire or a tornado, a earthquake, um, at least they would have the information in the system. 
So the system can only share what information is put in, so we need to take responsibility for ourselves and make sure that people are aware of what the needs are. Okay, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. Dave, any more hands up? Yeah, please. Uh, yes, DJ me. Kessler again. DJ. Yes. Um, my question is, is how many floors high can the longest ladder reach? Okay, so that is based on um, district by district, and the um, equipment is purchased based on being able to reach certain areas. Um, let me ask Chief Tom if he knows the tallest ladder. Hold on. Ladder New York truck. City. Take New York City. New York City. <laughs> What's the tallest? <laughs> We're going I to New York. I wish I had an exact answer for you, but I don't. <laughs> I know in the, the couple of fire companies and that I've been affiliated with or know about, um, it's, I know they've been up to 110 feet. So I'm sure they're bigger oh ones gosh. out there. <laughs> yeah, I know they're. Uh, I know they go. What know, is? Jade, yeah, that's a Jade. visual thing. Can you give me? I mean, you don't have to be exact, exact, but approximately how many each, stories? Each. I know. Go ahead, Jay. I'm sorry. I know on our department, it, it also had a basket. And with the basket, you're not going to get be able to go up as high, but that can reach the, to the eighth floor. Okay. It's, now, um, they I'm do sorry. have taller ones, but they're not going to have a basket with it. They're basically just going to be a ladder with it. Okay. Mm. Yeah, that's to give you a, a visual comparison or – some type of way of judging it. We basically, um, it's 10 foot per floor. So if it's an eight story building, it's an 80, 80 feet. Oh yeah. Cause ceilings are what? Eight feet. If I remember, and then you yeah, add well, some more space room. Okay. Right. Well, in, in apartment buildings, I mean, you can't think of it as residential because every, every the, the, the way homes are built in different parts of the country, they have, high vaulted ceilings or just whatever. There's only so many different types, but, yeah. uh, so yeah. Okay. Thank you. So what, yeah. Whenever uh, Terry wanted to say on something on this note too, we, everything is calculated and everything's by engineered design for that occupancy. So like, like Terry mentioned earlier, if it's going to be a 10 story building, then it's got to be, they have to have means of getting able to do a rescue. And so it may be like we call them straight stick fire trucks where there's no basket for firefighters to stand in. They just go mm -hmm. up, they climb up a ladder and then do a rescue from that or do whatever they would have to do. But the, the building is, they have engineered plans and engineered this and everything. Everything is thought of and everything is in the right spot at the right time. And like Terry said earlier, each community, they, they can't build a building if there's no truck to be able to service the building. Yes, exactly. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. That was an excellent question. Any more hands up? Get your hands up. Negative. There are no hands up at present. Okay. How are we with time? It is three minutes to nine. All right. Three minutes to nine. Okay. Well, first, I want to say thank you, Chief Tom Marr, for being here with us this evening. He was my first guest. 
and a long, long time friend. And so we were uh, passing not the baton or the mic, but the headsets. <laughs> so that's one way to get uh, Terry to not talk so much. Don't let her have the headset. And um, I just want to say thank you, everybody, um, for coming. And I just want to say next week we are going to be doing 911. What is your emergency? We'll take a background look at how, why all the questions 911 dispatchers and understanding why they've got to ask all the questions. And if anybody knows anybody that is vision impaired, blind, that works as a dispatcher, please reach out to me. And Dave, did you have any questions? Nope. What about our what about our streamer, Doug? No, we're good here. Okay. Thank you. All right. Wow. You finished on time, Tom. That's great. <laughs> uh, so on that note, um, everyone, good night, and we'll see you around ACB community, and we'll see you next week. 911, what's your emergency? <laughs>